You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We have been, as you know, tracking through the Gospel of John this year, and we find ourselves in John chapter 16 today. And when we get into this, we realize that God knows the future and God predicts the future. And everything happens as God promises, and in the Bible, we call that prophecy. So most most of what we see in today's reading is prophetic, meaning it is God's way of preparing us for the future. Jesus is going to reveal some things about life and some things about eternal life to us. And he does this so that we can align our lives and our resources to what our future has in store for us. Jesus here is just hours away from dying on the cross in our place for our sins. He knows his future is to die, to rise, to then prepare his followers, and that includes you and me, to prepare us for the future that God has for us. So we're going to see all of John chapter 16 today. Here are the words of the Lord Jesus. He says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Jesus warns those who are believers, look, the power of temptation is against you. It's always against you. If you want to be unfaithful to your spouse, if you want to cheat your way through work, if you want to be unfaithful to God, it's pretty easy because the power of temptation is against you. You need to know that the Holy Spirit comes to fill you up in a world that is so often trying to drag you down. It's possible to remain faithful to God who is always faithful to you. And Jesus instructs that we don't have to fall away. And then he's going to tell us what's going to happen. And he's going to Tell these disciples what's going to happen to them on account of them being in a relationship with him. He says, they will put you out of the synagogue. That's like, you know, modern day church. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Now, this gets pretty dark pretty quickly, doesn't it? There is great misguided religious zeal that is damaging people from that time to now. That some people will think they are doing God's will when in fact they are opposing God's will. They think that they are doing something honoring to God when they go after Jesus. They will do such things, Jesus continues, because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, You will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. Now, Jesus here is promising um, that the future, hey, look, when it comes to pass, just remember these things were going to happen. I've told you about all of this. And then he says, I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks, where are you going? Rather, 
You are filled with grief because I have said these things. Jesus says, I'm telling you these things that you won't fully understand, but when the moment of need arises, you will remember. Jesus is saying that his followers are going to endure pain on lots of levels. On one level, one of their issues of pain is going to come relationally because they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. So it'd be like, man, our church family, I can't be a part of that anymore. That for them was incredibly important. That was their tie into the community. Not only that, because if if they get kicked out of the synagogue, there goes their business contacts. So they are also going to suffer financially. And for many, by being a follower of Jesus, their family is going to disown them. In addition, they will suffer emotionally. He says that their heart will be full of grief. They will suffer spiritually because he says, in the name of God, you will be hated and opposed even though you're doing the will of God. And lastly, they will suffer physically, maybe even to the point of death. Jesus here is anticipating his own pain, and he says, you too will experience pain on account of being in a relationship with me. Let me just tell you briefly what happened to some of those first followers of Jesus. Because some people have this misconception that if I'm in the will of God, then everything's going to be great and and it's easy. Nothing's going to be hard. Well, that perfect life is called heaven and we're not there. Stephen was the first martyr, the first Christian killed for his faith. How was that done to him? by stoning him to death. This was recorded in the book of Acts. What happened to some of the disciples? There are books in the New Testament written, named after their author. What happened to them? Tradition records, Matthew was murdered by being stabbed to death. James, Jesus' brother, was put to death with a sword. Matthias, who replaced Judas, was burned to death. Mark was torn to pieces by a mob. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten and crucified and then beheaded. Thomas was run through with a spear. Andrew was crucified. Peter was crucified. The only one who didn't die a martyr's death, as far as we can tell, was the author of this gospel, John, who lived to be about a hundred, but was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Why do I tell you all this? Because it means that pain comes in this life and you have to push through that pain. And, and how do we know that? Because that's exactly what the Lord Jesus is in the process of doing. He's going to be betrayed, falsely arrested, wrongly accused, and tried. He is ultimately going to be publicly shamed, beaten beyond recognition, nailed in the most sensitive nerve centers of the human body, on a Roman cross, he will look down at the foot of that cross and see the weeping face of his mother. He's going through a lot of pain and suffering to endure as he substitutes himself for sinners. Too often we think, man, it's getting hard. (laughs) When do we get to bug out? 
Or uh, it's getting uncomfortable and painful. This must not be God's will. Look at Jesus. He went through it, not around it. That may be God's will, God's plan, God's purpose for you. So how many of you are sitting there now thinking, God, you're not a very good salesman. I mean, who wants to go and enlist in this? Well, just so you know, it will get more helpful, more hopeful, more joyful. You just got to go through the bad before you can get to the good. And now Jesus is going to start to tell us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's going to tell us that when pain comes, so does the presence of God. He says, very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, another helpful name for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, living in relationship eternally. For the sake of our salvation, the second member of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes into humanity to endure what we endure and to deliver us from what we have done. The Lord Jesus, during his earthly life, accepted some limitations on his humanity such as he could only be in one place at one time ministering to a certain group of people. After he dies, after he rises, after he returns into heaven, then he sends the Holy Spirit as the helper to be in, with, and for all of God's people in all times and places. So if you belong to the Lord Jesus, you are in this unique and privileged relationship with God. You don't have to go to a temple in order to be in the presence of God. You see, God makes you into a temple so that wherever you are, God's presence goes with you. So now he's going to talk more about these ministries of the Holy Spirit. For those who have yet to become believers and for those who are already believers. He says this, when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, Jesus is going to um, elaborate just a little bit on each of those three, and, and I'll do it a little bit more in just a second. About sin, Jesus says, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. <laughs> You know, it's not everyone in this world believes that there is personal evil in this world. But there is a source of evil that is in rebellion against God, and it's Satan. And then Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. It's like raising a child. You know, at first you can only give them simple things, only tell them about simple things. As they grow, then more complex things they can understand. Jesus says, but when he, again, that's the Holy Spirit, it's personal, he, the Holy Spirit is not an it. When he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. 
He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. All right, so let's go back and pick up those three ministries of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had just mentioned. First, he says it's about righteousness. All right, what is righteousness? It's the standard by which we become right in the sight of God. You need to know that you are not the highest authority in your life. God is. And in our world, we tend to think that I'm right and everyone else is wrong. Or I'm normal and everybody else is abnormal. If everyone would just be like me, well, then there'd be heaven on earth. (laughs) Righteousness realizes that faith in Jesus is the only way to be right in the sight of God. And then there's the ministry of conviction. Conviction is where you compare yourself to the character of Jesus and therefore you find that there are deficiencies in your conduct and behavior. Here's how it worked for me. I grew up a good person. I didn't drink or smoke anything. And if God were to grade on a curve, surely I'd get a B minus at least. I mean, I'm sure I'll be fine. I mean, I could think of a whole lot of people that were worse than I was. And then I grew in my faith. Actually started reading the Bible for a change. (laughs) And realized Jesus is very different than me. He tells the truth. I've not always done that. He loves his enemies. Me, not so much. He's very patient and forgiving. He endures hardship with perfect character. So conviction exposes my sin, my rebellion, my foolish ways of thinking and behaving. And then there's judgment. That's the third thing. Jesus is the way I'm supposed to be. And as a result, God has a problem with me. And so there's judgment. The judgment occurs in only one of two places. Judgment either happens on the cross of Jesus where your Savior substituted in your place for your sin so that you could be forgiven. Or you go to hell to endure the eternal torments away from the presence of God forever. Those are the only two options. Let me tell you the truth. Not everyone dies and goes to a better place. Everyone dies and has to stand before Jesus. And if judgment and justice were rendered for you at the cross of Jesus, then you enter into eternal blessing. But if you reject that offer, you enter into eternal cursing. My job is to tell you the truth from the word of God. Your job is to make a decision. It's the most important decision you will ever make. Is Jesus right? Am I under judgment? Do I need Jesus? The answer is yes, we all need Jesus. The whole world is in rebellion to God. 
Jesus comes to reveal to us our sin. He comes to reveal to us the goodness of God. He comes to reveal to us the forgiveness of sin that comes through the cross of Christ. The most important decision you will ever make is who you believe Jesus to be and whether or not you trust in him. And then there are four ministries that are particularly from the Holy Spirit to the believer. Number one, the ministry of presence. Jesus said, if I go away, he will come. The Holy Spirit will come. You see, it's not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God that makes life worth living. How do I know that? Because we continue to see in the headlines powerful, successful, accomplished, comfortable people who are depressed and or take their own life. And we think, how in the world can they lose hope like that? It's not the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of God that makes life worth living. The ministry of presence means you are never alone. Jesus here is about to be abandoned by his friends. He's going to be betrayed by his pretend friend, Judas Iscariot. He is going to be arrested, falsely accused, tried, and murdered, and he is never alone because God the Holy Spirit is with him. And that same is true for you. The second ministry of the Holy Spirit here for the believer is that of a helper. What that means is that you and I need help. We need God's help, and God the Holy Spirit comes to be the helper. So if you're discouraged, he will bring you encouragement. If you are hurting, he will comfort you. If you feel beat down, he wants to build you up. If you feel anxious, he wants to calm your emotional state. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to provide the exact help for the believer at the moment of greatest need. Jesus lived with his personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And any time that Jesus was in need, the Holy Spirit provided that need. So when you're tempted, the Holy Spirit will come and help you overcome that temptation. When your emotions are unhealthy, he will come to give you the emotional life of Jesus. When you are feeling unforgiving because of something that someone has done to harm you, he will empower you to forgive. Not so that that other person gets away with anything, but so that you can get away from the burden. So the ministries of the Holy Spirit for the believer are, number one, that of presence. Number two, that of helper. Number three, that of teacher. He will guide you into all truth. He will teach you the truth. That you and I need to understand that we need the Bible. Just like a person adrift at sea absolutely needs a life preserver. This is how much you need the word of God. This world is very confusing. It is filled with deception and confusion. It is filled with speculation about God, but very little about revelation from God. God, the Holy Spirit, inspired the Bible to be written. It illuminates your understanding so that you can be guided into truth. And the primary part of truth 
is to lead you to understand reality. So when you pick up the word of God, the key is to prepare your heart to hear. So you've got to invite the Holy Spirit in to guide you into the truth. And then lastly, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring about worship. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. Glory means weightiness. It means preeminence, significance. Jesus is not to be on your to-do list. He is to be at the center of all lists of your family, your life, your job, your finances, your well-being, your hope, your past, your present, your future. All needs to be centered around Jesus, surrendered to Jesus. It needs to be submitted to Jesus that something or someone needs to be in that position in your life, a position of weightiness and preeminence and glory. And if it is anyone or anything other than Jesus, then that is idolatry that leads to death. Think about this. What do we know happens in heaven? John, the same author of this gospel, writes in Revelation where he sees Jesus and he sees all the angels and the departed saints and what are they doing? They are glorifying Jesus. They are worshiping Jesus. They are singing to Jesus. They are celebrating the victory of Jesus. This means that you and I need to be displaced as the center of our existence in life. If you are the center of your life, then you want everyone else to orbit around you and to worship you. Glorifying Jesus, worshiping Jesus is saying there's only one throne and there's only one worthy of sitting on that throne. You know, in just a few moments, we're going to sing. And the songs are not about you. We're not going to sing, I praise my name. We're singing to someone, the Lord Jesus, your Savior, to displace you. All right, now are you ready for the joy? Jesus continues. The rest of John chapter 16, we're going to go through these verses a lot quicker. Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Have you ever read something in the Bible and you're not quite sure what it means? You're not alone. Some of these guys are going to write books of the Bible. And right now, they aren't understanding Jesus. That means it requires humility and study and inviting the Holy Spirit. In any case, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, and this tells you Jesus knows every thought. He even knows what they're thinking. Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep 
and mourn while the world rejoices. He's saying that there are things in this world that the world will have a parade for that believers are not. And one of those things is the death of Jesus. There are many in this world who are going to celebrate the death of God, that God doesn't exist. Jesus says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He's like, hang in there. It's going to get better. And then he uses birthing as an analogy. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born in the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. This is good news. That the joy that Jesus gives is the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's the joy of forgiveness. And you know what? You can lose your health. You can lose your spouse. You can lose your job, but you cannot lose the love of God. And that means that you cannot lose your source of joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. We would say according to God's will. John 16, 24, until now you have not asked for anything in my name, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. God wants his people to be filled with joy, overwhelming joy, joy to share with others, to encourage them. What Jesus is alluding to is what he's about to endure and what they're about to see. He's going to be crucified on a cross. Unimaginable sorrow. But wait. On the third day, he's coming back to life. Incredible joy. But then Jesus is going to leave. He tells them that. So sorrow again. But the Holy Spirit is going to come. So, okay, God has not forgotten about us. There is reason to rejoice. Oh, but we're going to be sent out into the world and the world hates us. Sorrow. But Jesus is about to tell them that he has overcome the world. Joy. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I, I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Jesus is saying that he comes from God the Father. <laughs> no one in the history of the world makes this statement. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. It's like, man, we get it. Now we can see, this is still them talking. Now we can see that you know all things 
You do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Here's the thing. When we come before God, we are to trust God, not test God. And Jesus then says, verse 31, do you now believe? That's my question for you this morning. Do you now believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that his death brought you life, that he came down from heaven, that he died for you, that he is the one who grants you eternal life that you cannot merit. Do you believe in Jesus? He says, the time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone. For my father is with me. He's going away. They're going to be scattered, but he's going to come back. And then he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. This world is nothing but trouble. This world is nothing but tribulation. This world is nothing but trial and pain and problem and the question is how can I possibly have any peace in a peaceless world how can I possibly have any joy in a joyless world how can I possibly have any hope in a hopeless world I have good news for you Jesus says and this is how chapter 16 closes but take heart I have overcome the world it is the world against Jesus. And Jesus says, this is not a problem. In this moment, Jesus is on the verge of dying. And what this looks like is that the world is going to win and God is going to lose. If you were to see Jesus crucified, that's exactly what you would think. But Jesus was dying for you and me. And in his death was our victory. And in his resurrection was our hope for eternity. Jesus has overcome the world. Your life is going to be okay. Your eternity is going to be okay. The fear you have is real. The savior you have is real. Now we're going to respond in a couple of ways. And the first thing we're going to ask of you, we're going to ask you to give. But the first thing we're going to ask you to give are the worst things about your life. Give your sin to Jesus. Give your burden to Jesus. Give your fear to Jesus. Give your anxiety to Jesus. Give your reputation to Jesus. Give your future to Jesus. And then we're going to ask you to give your best. The offering is part of what it means by your devotion and your worship of Jesus. This is about giving to the God who gave. And then we're going to sing. And when we sing, we are aligning our hearts with the will of God. 
And we are inviting our lives into the presence of God. We are welcoming the peace. The only peace that comes truly to us is what Jesus promises. And it'll be in us and through us. Because in this world, we have tribulation. But in Christ, we have peace. If you are willing to receive God's grace and his provision and his presence, God wants to come into your life right now. He wants to unburden you. He wants to give you hope. He has life and new birth for you. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.